everyone, before we get started with the show today, I want to tell you about an exciting opportunity. On December 9th, we're going to be hosting our first ever open house soiree right here at Integrity Lash in Pasadena, California. It's going to be from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., and it's on a Sunday, so hopefully none of you are working. It's a great chance to come down, meet us, meet our team, and meet each other. We're going to be providing demos, drinks, appetizers, music, and a cool swag bag full of stuff from our sponsors, who are going to be Borbaletta Beauty, Sugarlash Pro, The Lash CEO, and Eyelash Magazine, and Dear Lash Love. And really what's cool is Lorena from Dear Lash Love will also be here with her own table selling stuff that you can get your goodies before the holidays the one thing we need from you is not your money we need your rsvp and you can rsvp us at well let me tell you this info at integrilash.com stop your car stop riding your bike stop lashing whatever you're doing right now stop to sit down write this down info at integrilash.com and actually even better Take another second to tell your guests. I need another minute. And now get in your phone and email us. Say, hey, it's Sally. I'm going to be there. And I have 1,500 friends I'm bringing. Awesome. Can't wait to meet all of you. So right now, email us at info at And I think that's about it. Otherwise, we hope to see you on December 9th around 5 o'clock. At our first ever open house soiree. It should be awesome. Be fun. And now let's get on with the show. Hey guys, I'm Shelby Tarleton, and I'm the host of Lash Boss Radio and the owner of Pink Lady Lash in Austin, Texas. I'm today's guest announcer. You can find me on Instagram at Pink Lady Lash or Lash Boss Radio. Cue the music. In an industry where most of us spend the majority of our time working alone in a room, we wanted to create a podcast where you can learn, be encouraged, and find a connection with other lash and beauty professionals. This is the LashCast podcast, and here's your host, Paul Lubers. Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am here with my two Lash pals, Erica and Tusney. How are both you guys doing? Awesome. Doing good. Doing good. Awesome. We are in our new studio. We just moved to a smaller room. And uh, so we're going to see how this rolls. We're all like literally like three feet from each other. Yeah, but it sounds great. Oh, yes. It's going to get really hot. It's going to get very hot (laughs) in here. Yeah, it's going to be a warm day. But that's all good. We're very excited today, as always, because we are bringing you a special guest today. And we're not going to do any of our own private talks in this one. This is all going to be about someone else, someone very special, someone that we've gotten to be good friends with, someone that we really think is cool. And if you don't know her, her name is Jasmine. She's from Chic Sin City. And she is amazing. If you don't know her, you'll need to get to know her and follow her. She's a master esthetician. She's been doing it for over 11 years now. When she got out of beauty school, she went right into body waxing and such. And then from there, she moved to Las Vegas in 2011 and started to do waxing there. And that's when she first found lashes. And she'll tell us more about that. And she went ahead, took classes, and then a year and a half later, opened up Chic and has her own salon. It's been a little over three years now, if I remember right. And we ran into her actually in Vegas, of all places. That's where she's based out of. And we were at um, Borboletta party and just having a lot of fun hanging with all these lash professionals. And Jasmine came up and introduced herself. And we were so excited because she is super passionate. She's got such a big heart for people, for lashes, for our industry. And it was really cool to get to talk to her and listen to her. And she's not your typical salon owner by any means. She has a team of 10 and she is doing some amazing things out in Vegas. And we're so glad to have her on the show. So welcome on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. 
So we are lucky to have you, as I said, and we're very excited because we want to talk today a little bit more about the salon world and what it means to run a lash salon. There's a lot of people working by themselves, but we want to give people a little bit of a peek to the pleasures and to the pain that comes from running a salon. It's not all that's cut up to be. I think a lot of us are quite surprised once we get into it that, oh my gosh, this is not what I thought I was getting into. And so we thought we'd try to unpack that and all that. But before that, we'd love to have you, Jasmine, go into a little bit more about your background and maybe share with us your lash story, what got you into beauty, what got you into lashes, and why lashes, why not selling cars? Because I hear that's another great occupation. Yeah, definitely. My older sister is actually an esthetician, so she's the one that inspired me to go to beauty school. We're five years apart. Um, She ended up going more the medical route, where I went more the waxing, facials, and eyelash extensions route. Like you were saying before, I specialized for a good chunk of my career in body waxing and eyebrows. But when I moved to Las Vegas, I saw how big the service was, how popular it was becoming. And because it fell under our license, I thought, well, this is my next thing. So I ended up going back to Utah to get certified and came back to Vegas, started taking my clients. And within a year and a half, I gained so much clientele that I was pushing clients away because I couldn't even get them through my door anymore. I didn't have any more space for them. And that's when I decided that I would expand. And I found my location and opened up Chic, and we've been open for just over three years now. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. When we first met at that cocktail party, it was so sweet to connect with you just because, like our intro says, you know, most of us work alone in a room, right? But to connect with somebody else who's been doing this for a while and has the same kind of ups and downs or stresses of running a business and running a salon, it's a little bit different, you know, but it was so neat to connect with you about that. And that's what we're hoping to do is kind of explore some of your experiences with ownership. I guess I should ask a question. Yeah. No. <laughs> stating, <laughs> stating facts right now. And that's yes. all good. I mean, one of the things was when you got into this, like uh, Tara Walsh always says, there's a lot of accidental owners in the lash industry. They don't really realize that they're going into this to start a business. They're just, I'm good at lashes. And all of a sudden one day they look up and they're like, I'm packed and I need more people and I need to hire. For you, was it always a goal to have a lash salon or were you just happy originally to work for yourself? Or It was never my goal, honestly. And... I just loved doing what I did myself, but when I realized that it was becoming bigger than myself, that's when I decided that I would hire on without really knowing what it took Hmm. to have employees working under you and being a business owner because being a lash artist or a service provider versus being a business owner is two completely different things that I just didn't know what I was getting into, but I think three years in, I'm really starting to embrace it and loving my new position. And so I'm happy that I ended up going this route. Mm -hmm. When you first started, you know, it's coming from the overflow of the clients that you're trying to push away and you're trying to accommodate that need. You know, looking back, what did you think that your main goal was to do in starting the business? It was pure passion. I just really enjoyed working with a lot of different people from different backgrounds and learning so many things from my clients Mm -hmm. that every day was different because you saw new clientele, 
you talked about new stories and met new people and also build a lot of relationships during that time too. So I just loved reconnecting with them every few weeks. I feel like the demand for lashes in Vegas because it's like an entertainment capital was probably really big from the start. Do you feel like that really helped you build your clientele fast or what do you think? Definitely. I mean, it was just getting popular. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it became really, really popular within what the last seven ish years and being in the service industry, actually like cocktail waitresses, depending on where you work, it's a little bit of a requirement. You either have to get eyelash extensions or wear strips on the daily. Mm-hmm. So wow. for, for them, it's a lot more convenient to just right. get eyelash extensions. And so when I first started and I was working at my wax salon, I cocktail at night. And that's how I gained the majority of my clientele. And that's how I got busy so fast because it was just word of mouth and there was such a big need for it. So should we should pass laws that require people to have lashes <laughs> if they work. You know, if you work at home, okay, you can stay home, no lashes for you. But if you're in a public place, everyone looks better with lashes. Even guys, I think that's, that should be required. No? No. Okay. Hard, I, hard I, no. I think your husband would look great with lashes on. I think Peter He'll would be a big fan. with anything. I mean. <laughs> You're doing really well with the word of mouth, and there's a lot of demand coming on. Did you start out hiring a bunch of people? Like, I just have a need, or was it just one person time? Can you walk us through what that looked like when you first started hiring? Um, so when I first hired on, actually when I opened my shop, I worked solo by myself for the first I want to say about three weeks. And so I was just kind of taking my clients there. I would let them in the door, lock it after because I didn't have a receptionist. So (laughs) here I am, this huge space, just working by myself because, like I said, I was fully booked. So it was really hard for me to manage opening the salon, interviewing girls, and taking care of my full clientele all at the same time. So in between clients, I would interview girls. And I finally, when I did hire, I hired on two other lash artists and a receptionist. So then it was us three and my one receptionist working. And then from there, as we grew, I hired on more. Did you move or did you always have the place that you're at currently? Oh, I moved. So before I was in a single space, just myself. And then when I opened my shop, it's a little over 1500 square feet. All right, cool. It's about the same size as ours. Yeah, yeah. When I first started, it was kind of similar. I was solo in this. My space was pretty small, though. 150 square feet? It was actually 80. It was actually 80 (laughs) square feet. Wow. I know. It was like a little cracker box. And um, the building, you had to be buzzed in. And then there was a common waiting area. But it was difficult because... What I realized is that as a solo business owner, I was responsible for, you know, greeting the client, you know, direct them to the waiting area and then doing the service, checking them out, booking them again. And then if somebody else is waiting, you're, you're kind of juggling all these relationships. And people would, would text you at 10, 11 o'clock at night. People are texting, you know, you know it's get just, in tomorrow. So, you know, I, I can relate to that. It's just like, you know, you lock the door and you hope nobody's going to bang on it, that kind of thing. Yeah. So when you got your receptionist there was a relief like now you have somebody to handle the phones for you and book and greet people oh it was awesome having a receptionist is the best thing I could have done ever and 
I still utilize them more than just a receptionist. They're almost like my assistants. Mm, yeah. So what type of, uh, just as a side note, because probably people think of their, you know, receptionist or front desk as assistants. Do you give them like other duties or other responsibilities to help you carry the burden for the salon? Definitely. Because I pay them hourly, mm. I try to keep them as busy as possible with just small tasks that I would otherwise be doing myself, mm. like restocking inventory or, you know, taking inventory in general. Yeah. So just little things I'm having them help me with that helps so much now. Now for you, was that a difficult financial decision to add on the front desk? Because with three front desks, that's not a ton of revenue coming in. Or did you find it was just worth the trade-off to make a little less? Because I know who usually makes less. It's usually going to be you, right? So it's yeah, like... It was worth it because I didn't have that burden. And it actually allowed me to take on more clients mm -hmm. because I didn't have to take that extra you know, 15 minutes before and after the client to check them out, reschedule them, make sure that they're doing okay. I had someone else taking care of that and I could actually get in an extra client or two that day because someone else was handling, you know, taking them in and payment and all of that. Wrapping it up, yeah. you know, closing exactly. a sale, you know, especially it gets difficult when somebody wants to show you pictures of their event yeah. and you're just like, oh, I gotta go. <laughs> or their vacation. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or animals. Yeah, animals kill a lot of time. <laughs> you said that you pay them hourly. Was that yes. a hard decision for you or is that something you knew you always wanted to structure it as or what was that process like for you? As soon as I knew I was going to open a business, I knew I wanted a full-time receptionist or at least a receptionist to be in the front during business hours so that they could answer phone calls, answer any questions for walk-ins, check people in and out, take payment and reschedule. So when I first opened the business and I wasn't really having a lot of the girls that were working with me have a full clientele, all of my clients were the ones that paid the bills. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it was solo, all of that income was my income. Yeah. And when I opened the business, I had to take or budget out a chunk of what I was making before just to use as payroll. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, it's often, especially in the commission world, where I know you're at, and we've been there too. We found out there was a time where we backed Tusney off. We're like, oh, we're going to take her off the floor. And all of a sudden, we weren't able to pay our bills. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. Grand plan. I'm going to, like, okay, I'm going to get out from behind the chair and do a little bit more management. And we scheduled it. And number one, it's hard to stay focused, right? To actually do the management. You know, yeah. you think I'm going to work on it, but if that's a baby muscle, you're going to spend a lot of time building it up and you're chasing after, you know, laundry or you're just doing extra stuff. And that's not business related. But anyway, that aside, what happened was we realized I wasn't working and bills aren't getting paid. Well, yeah, basically know? your income was, was what, driving what a paid, lot of, yeah. made us have profits to be able to pay all the extra things. So all of a sudden we couldn't pay bills and we had to put her back on the floor full time. So that's kind of like um, a really easy mistake to make when you're first starting out and you're kind of like, you know, exploring the boundaries of the business, like cause and effect and realizing, oh, you know, the money coming in with commission doesn't always, it is, even though the bank, the it's, bills, there's yeah. money in the bank, it's going out because you're using it to pay payroll and you're thinking, where did it go? Yeah, it's just a little out of balance. But that said, let's talk about how you kind of grew your clients. You already shared a little bit, but maybe that there's anything else that you could share as far as 
ideas. I know you were out there cocktailing at night, making connections, making friends and all that. I know Tusney, when she first started, she actually joined some business groups locally and some nonprofit things or, or volunteered at things. So she was meeting all these women and women's groups and all that. But I thought maybe you could tell us, how do you find clients? What's your best tools that you use to get new clients into your salon? Networking, going out, being active in your community, mm-hmm. connecting with other women. Even when I go out to eat and my server is like, I'll try and make conversation and slip in there like, hey, I have a salon. If you need any brows or lash services, here's our card. We'll take care of you. So I'm constantly just putting the word out Mm -hmm. there. And I try to make sure that my lashes always look good because I want to make sure that I'm a good walking billboard for Mm -hmm. business. Exactly. Yeah just want to say if anyone has never seen you every time i see you're absolutely gorgeous (laughs) (laughs) so much (laughs) so did you feel like instagram and social media has given you the same kind of power that word of mouth gets you or is it a different kind of clientele when we first opened it was before they had changed the algorithm Hmm. and we were seeing a lot of business from instagram Hmm. now not as much i would say the best way that we gain clients is word of mouth and referrals. Yeah. I mean, that's for us too. I mean, we easily found 50% of our clients come from just a personal referral and 40% come from Yelp. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have seen Yelp be useful for you, but Yelp for us has been extremely helpful. We just started using Yelp. So that has been okay. helping us. Oh, cool. Now, um, do you encourage the staff to be networking as well to do the same thing that you're modeling? I do have them have their own Instagram for work because it's a portfolio of their work. And a lot of times clients will call us and ask if that specific artist who is open has an Instagram that they can check out before booking with them. And so we'll give out their Instagram and they'll scroll over their page and give us a call back and end up booking. So I think it's really important that they have their own Instagram and they're promoting as well. Do you have any systems or any ways of recovering lost clients? Because, you know, clients eventually after a while take breaks, they go on vacations, they get financially in different places or, or they decide to try another salon that's maybe cheaper, whatever it is. Do you have any systems or way you try to reach out to some of these former clients and get them back in? Yeah, so we also use Booker. I think you guys do as well. And so Booker's great because if a certain client hasn't come through your door in, I think it's three months. Yeah, three months. It automatically sends a, hey, we miss you reminder with a little like 10% off Mm -hmm. discount. And then we do emails that... For a while, I kind of stopped doing it, but I just started again. And I think doing emails is really good, too, just to be a little active and, you know, every once in a while get in their inbox. No, that's good. No, I think that constant communication is a key. And by the way, we have a, a car on fire oh, in the background or something. So I don't know if you can hear it. <laughs> but anyhow, but that said, we have the same thing. We actually, I don't know if you ever tried Frederick, but Frederick is another tool that Booker uses. Have you tried that one? I've heard of it, but I haven't really looked too much into it. Are you loving it? Yeah, we love it. no, we, we love, love it. it. It's actually a little bit better, aesthetically pleasing. Actually, Booker owns Frederick, and then Mind Body bought Booker, so it's this conglomerate now. But that said, they have a great tool, and it's it kind of like Demand Force, so it does follow up emails, confirmations, and 
it also does a the recovery thing where it can like fill in last second openings so if your schedule let's say this week you have a few openings you can click this button that says fill last second openings and it'll send out emails to clients who have been gone for 30 days or more or whatever you're set you can set it from different days and so forth and give out incentives if you need to we try not to incentivize too much trying to get away from discounting and just doing like more adding value. But you know, sometimes discounts are the only thing that people respond to. It just depends on who you're going after. But the thing that we really love about Frederick is that it's kind of like a buffer or if somebody's had not the best experience, it gives them an outlet. What we do is we send a questionnaire, just like how, you know, rate your experience basically yeah. from one to 10. And if they didn't have the greatest experience, it's the first way that they can express that before they go to like Yelp and say, ah, oh, the integrity lash, that was an awful place, you know. And it gives us the heads up that something's not quite right. So it's an opportunity to reach out to them. So you might want to look into it because it really yeah. does kind of take some of that instant edge off and alerts you to an issue that you may not have known about. Yeah, it's a little pricey. It's $199, so it's even more expensive than Booker. But again, for 200 bucks, recovering even one or two clients a month would pay for itself. Or preventing yeah. a bad review. Or preventing a bad review, which could be even more costly than that. And permanent. Yeah, <laughs> something you can't yeah, get rid I've of. I've been looking for something that does where you can get more feedback. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely going to look into it after our call. Yeah, yeah, definitely do that. That'd be great. Yeah. Actually, our next question kind of ties into that. Like, what are some of the um, reasons that clients may stop coming to your salon? Like for us, sometimes the clients get tired of us asking them to move appointments. So that's kind of a pain point when for them. When we move, what we do, I don't know if you had this, but you will have like a team member get sick. Actually, right now today, we had someone whose back is out and she can't work for the next three or four days. So we have to move all her clients. And uh, if that happens too many times, eventually some clients go, gosh, man, I'm tired of being moved. It's fatigue, Yeah, right? I'm going to go to the nurse salon that doesn't ask me to move so much. And we've had a little bit of a bad run for the last few months doing that. So I don't know if you have any red flags that you see that you guys do or, or I don't know if you, your clients even share with you. Oh, we're leaving. A lot of times they just say they're going to take a break. Yeah, that's pretty much the main one that I've heard. So that's why I'm actually interested in using Frederick to mm -hmm. see specific reasons why, you know, a client may not want to come back. So mm -hmm. I know that when we've had a run, what you will do, Paul, is that sometimes you'll actually you'll make a list of the people that have dropped out and you'll actually go and call them and say, you know, hey, you know, what's going on? You want to walk us through yeah, what you say? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. We just basically run reports and you find who's been gone for a while. And, and Booker, it's not so clean with it. I know if you have Millennium, Mevo, they have better reporting. You can get, find that stuff easier, but you find out who's been gone. And then you just give them a call after like three months or longer and just say, hey, how are you doing? We'd miss you. We'd love to have you come back. And usually they'll just say, oh yeah, that'd be so cool. But you know, right now I moved or, or they give you some, you know, sometimes I think they've just moved to some other salon that's probably cheaper, <laughs> but they're not going to say that. <laughs> so they just, you know, they're very just casual about our nonchalant. And I'd say more than two thirds of the time, we just leave a message mm -hmm. saying, hey, we'd love to see you again. It'd be great to have you come back. I don't give them any incentives at that point. Um, I'm just more like trying to connect with them again in hopes that we get a dialogue. And, you know, every once in a while, one of them does come back. So, and it's yeah, just, you know, they, appreciate yeah, they, they can tell you care, right? So it's one of those things that's kind of cool. So is there a lot of competition for lashes in your area? There is. There's a lot of lash salons okay. all over the city. <laughs> What's unique about your salon? You know, we really focus on creating an experience, not mm -hmm. just a service. I'm not trying to get 
in clients really quickly. It's more quality than quantity. Mm-hmm. So, sorry. What? No, no, that, that's <laughs> no. the way to do it. I mean, with a lot of competition, there has to be something that sets you apart. Because if you can get the same thing just going down to the place, you know, next door, it's almost like a race to the bottom if you're not focusing on an experience or quality. Right. I mean, what they say, a sucker's born every minute, but that sucker's not going to return you if you're not delivering quality. I think that's that's a good goal. I encourage my receptionists and all of my artists to learn faces and the names, even Mm -hmm. if they're not your client. So Mm -hmm. right when they walk in the door, they feel like, oh, wow, it feels homey in here or like they want to be there and spend time there. Mm -hmm. So just really creating that relationship with them. That's a really good tip. I think knowing their name is one of the coolest things. We have a couple of our favorite restaurants. We go back more often to the restaurants that know our name. We want to hear her name. You want to it's know special. that you matter, right? Yeah. And it's like when people say, hey, how's it going? It's like, yeah, I belong. Part of the club. <laughs> it's really cool. So, no, that is great. Doing that, I think, it is really cool. And I don't know. Because I'm bad at that personally, but, you know, we, uh, we do the same. Well, I like that. I mean, one of the things that strategies teaches, we talk about strategies. It's the consulting company that really encourages team-based pay. They say that the more people or the more hands that touch that client, the more loyalty they'll have to the salon. And so when you're encouraging your staff to recognize somebody's face and say, hey, Cindy, it's so great to see you. And even if it's not the stylist who's going to do it, you could say that's somebody's hand touching them, right? So Uh the more that you have that, the more that builds that loyalty. Also for us, since we are not commissioned and all of us stylists share clients, I never want a client to feel uncomfortable for not seeing me. So if they're seeing like Jane Doe one day, I can name one of our staff. I don't know why I said that. They're seeing love in Mm -hmm. this month instead of me. I don't want them to feel bad. So I'm always like, Hey Cheryl or whatever it is. I'm like, how are you doing? And then they're not trying to like hide from you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know sometimes clients worry about that. Like, Hey, I want to make an appointment with so-and-so. And if that person's busy, they'll have to see someone else and they'll just be like, are you sure that person's not going to get mad? And we just reassure them. No, we just want you on our door. And Mm -hmm. when they walk in, both girls will say hi to her so that she doesn't feel awkward. Yeah, it's it's about making the client feel comfortable and and all that. So that's really important. That's great. And you guys have, I remember, it's a large room, right, that you guys all operate of so they could see each other. Yeah, we are in an open room. So that's cool. So they can make that sure. So they definitely would, if it wasn't like that, they would get the stink eye and then that would be a bad <laughs> idea. So it's good that your your staff is on board with that. Yeah, we don't I, want any stink eyes. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. want that. Because I, I think some salons, that is a problem. I think mm-hmm. there is that competitiveness and that kind of, well, oh, that's my client. You don't get to take my client. In fact, people will skip being, you know vacations or cancel a little one day off just so they can get that client back in because they don't want to lose their client mm-hmm. base. So mm-hmm. it's great yeah, that yeah. you guys. But something that has been really fortunate with us is we have never had that issue oh, at our salon. Really that's great. Like, that's a good culture to build. Anything, so they all love each other. We all know that we're a team. That's great. That's awesome. So let's move into the next section and talk about some of the things that you love about being a salon owner and running Chic. And also we'll get into some of the maybe the more difficult things you have to fight through and struggle through. So for yeah. the start off, I thought about first, maybe just do the easy stuff, the stuff that makes us happy. Like, what do you love about running Chic? Well, it is my dream job. 
a hundred percent. I didn't know that this was my dream, but now that I'm here, it is my dream job. And I love what I do. I love that I get to be creative every day in so many different aspects, whether it's social media or doing marketing stuff inside the salon, planning activities with our staff, all of those things. I've embraced it and I couldn't be happier doing anything else. That's cool. amazing. And what makes you most proud? Is there anything specifically about Chic that you go, if I tell my friends or you go out meeting new people, you usually want to brag a little bit about what you're doing or you know, the special things that you have at Chic. What's something that you're most proud of? So besides loving every girl that we do have on the team, I'm just really proud that I can create a place that you know, 10 different women can come to enjoy what they're doing and make a living for themselves. And that is definitely number one that I'm proud of. Yeah. It's quite an accomplishment what you've done, you you know, to create a place that fosters the same passion that you have, you know, creativity with lashes, fostering their life skill and providing an opportunity for them to provide for themselves and their family. I think it's something that brings us a lot of pride as well. Oh, yeah. No, that's definitely it for us. I mean, for us, providing for, you know, 14 people and their families and knowing that they, you know, come to us, they rely on this salon every day to be there for them, to give them the work, give them clients, give them purpose, give them, you know, something fun to do that they enjoy. It is. It's, it's absolutely a, a kick. And that's not something we knew. No, we didn't, had no, no clue that we loved that part of it. It's kind of like it moves into coaching a little bit. Like you were sharing, like planning events and things like that. It's like planning events for our staff and talking to them about their personal growth. And it's like a different muscle. I never knew that we'd be called to, but it's really neat to build people, right? Yeah, it's really fulfilling. Um, one of the things I wanted to know is in Vegas, are most people, do you think, still working for themselves or are they working in other salons in your area like yours that you're competing for clients? I would say it's 50-50. There's okay. a lot of like sola mm-hmm. salons mm-hmm. Um, where girls just rent out their own room. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of lash lounges mm-hmm. um, working for someone else. So there's a good variety here. And do you feel like you have a advantage over, let's say, the individual operator working for themselves? And if so, what do you feel like you offer that they can't do? Well, when you're a part of a team, you have a bunch of girls backing you up no matter what, encouraging you, pushing you to do better. I think when you're alone, sometimes you might feel a little complacent or too comfortable where you stop trying so hard. Mm-hmm. And when you're surrounded by other women especially if they're really hungry and talented, it inspires you to be like that as well. Right. It's like an iron sharpening iron, Mm -hmm. like even a friendly competition. It's just like encouraging you to be on your best game. It's like when you don't have anybody looking over your shoulder or working side by side with you, like you said, it is easy to become complacent because you're the boss. So you're the only one that's going to hold yourself accountable. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really hard to do that. There was an interesting article in the PBA about three mm, years ago one. where uh, a gal shared about working in a salon and going out, out on her own, and then she comes back. And she really just shares how she, the, you know, at first, the first three or four months, she's like, ah, oh, this is the best thing that ever happened working for myself. Woohoo. And then a year goes by, and it's not so exciting anymore because she's working by herself. She has no comrades, no one to bond with. Even though she was in, I think, a solo salon, she still 
you know, everyone's just busy doing their own thing in those those places. And then she also noticed that she started dressing worse. Like she'd start showing up in sweats, and before she knew it, she'd barely get out of her pajamas. I really <laughs> liked this article because she was brutally honest, yeah. and she said, you know, I even noticed that my standards of hygiene. I would put use like dirty towels because if I didn't do the laundry, I wouldn't have anything left, you know? So I wasn't sharp. I wasn't, you know, doing my best work. She said I had to look in the mirror and realize that I had kind of stooped to what she never wanted to become. I think that's what yeah. happens. No, though. I think it's tempting. I mean, there's people who can do it and are super disciplined and be fine. But I think when there's no one looking, it's easier to kind of let standards go and things drop. And I, she actually went back into a salon and has decided she'll never go back. Like she loves the salon environment. But what she said when she was encouraging is that being your own boss is not the best for everyone. There are some people that do better like her working in a structured team so that, you know, for her, she just needed the ability to perform her craft while all the other things, the ancillary things, the the bills, the cleaning, all that stuff was kind of taken care of for her. And that's something that a lot of lash people, when we go into training, they're always pushing, you know, you can be making $70,000 a year, $100,000. You should be your own boss, set your own hours. And yeah, those things are true, but they're kind of giving like the rosiest picture. And in some ways, I really think it's doing a disservice, you know. No, definitely. I think that our industry has a real love affair, I think, with being independent, which is why I absolutely dig Jasmine, because I've seen enough of you to see what you're doing with your team, that you're doing really something special, and you're creating a, a great place for people to work. And I'd love to see more people joining in and being like Jasmine's or like Shelby mm-hmm. down at Lash Boss or at, is it Pink Lady Lash? Pink or Lash? Lady Lash, yeah. yeah. Pink Lady Lash. Yeah. yeah. You know, th- that, doing that type of thing, because we're not all meant to work by ourselves forever. I, I think that's a lonely way to go. And I also tell people, like, seriously, you're going to work 20, 30 years by yourself? I mean, to me, that sounds like a death sentence. I would rather work with a team for 10, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years. And I know there's seasons. It doesn't mean you'll be always together. People may come and go. That's going to happen. But the idea of building something together, I think, is much more interesting and long-lasting than me working by myself all day on clients. And I just love to see our industry begin to embrace that more and celebrate more and people like you and do more good for our industry. Well, you care. And like that's one of the things that stood out to me talking. It's like you have a tenderness and a real care for people and you want to do right by them, like really wanting to build structure for them and invest in their futures. A lot of salon owners get a bad rap for like really not caring all that much. And that's so not who you are. You've already done a good job of acting and we don't know the truth. (laughs) Well, I really appreciate that because I really do try to be as involved in everything as possible. We're open six days a week, and I'm there six days a week. Amen. <laughs> so, that's right, that's right. I'm actually there seven days a week because on Mondays I have to do payroll. So Yeah, yeah. I come yeah, in on yeah. Sundays often and just because we're open six days too, and I'll check the phones and you know, see who's canceled for Monday or Tuesday and get someone else booked in. Mm-hmm. So On another note with that, when you're alone and if you have a full clientele and you want to take a vacation, yeah. it's is so stressful because you have to work extra hours to get in all those clients. As soon as you get back, you're hit with extra clients. And when you work with a team, you don't have to worry about that because 
someone else can take care of those clients for you while you're gone. That's right. Totally. And deliver and that the same And the ones that really want to wait for you will. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. No, that's so true. So let's move on to some not so fun stuff now. Uh, my yeah. first question for you on this one is, what do you think is the biggest misperception your employees have of you? Or maybe you've talked to other business owners and you've heard this from other people. So it doesn't have to be just uniquely to you. But what would you say in our industry is probably the biggest misperception people have of owners? That I'm going to open a business, hire on staff, and now I have so much free time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Which is completely far from the truth. I'm working all the time, even on vacation. Mm -hmm. Even after hours when the doors are locked, I'm still working. It's a little different because when it's your business, I actually enjoy doing all of those things. So it doesn't always feel like work, but maybe for someone else, you would think that I'm working 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. And on social media, people might look at you because it is a highlight realm, right? Mm -hmm. You're only posting the good things, but it's not easy and it's not always luxurious either. It's hard, really, really hard. And I just want to like not get out of bed, but (sighs) when it's good, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. You have more highs and lows, I think. And, um, My favorite part is everyone brings me grapes and feeds them to me in bed. That's oh, my yeah, eye. That's it. No? That is the weirdest visual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, it's like the prince, like or the Greek, you know, no. guys sitting in their <laughs> leisure chairs and pans of fruit and champagne being served to you. No, no. It's no? like grueling. The hard parts are grueling and it's not glamorous like that. It's like no, it's digging in the dirt, man, when you're like bone tired and... You know, the weight of the world's on you and you've got to put on a happy face for everybody and find it deep down in you to coach people out of, you know. Situations. Yeah, Yeah. that's hard. I mean. I've done more all-nighters running this company for the last eight years than I've done since college. mm -hmm. I mean, I literally, there have been plenty of times like, I'm not sleeping tonight. I'm going to work all night and I'll sleep sometime like the next night. So it's uh, it's crazy. Another thing I found that I think employees have a misperception is that we're all making at least a million dollars each <laughs> running our salons. Uh, I've found personally, almost every salon owner I know would say this. If I were to go off and work for myself again, I'd make more money. Yes. Would 100%. you agree? Yeah. <laughs> I was making great money working by myself before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So being the owner, well, it's cool and it's a great honor and it's a great responsibility. And like you said, it is a lot of fun. There's a lot of ups and that's why we do it. The biggest reason not to do it is because you want to make more money or you want a lot of free time. Yeah. The, the, those those, those two happen. things yeah. disappear as soon as you become a salon owner. Mm-hmm. You um, have less free time and you make okay money still. It's not like you're, you know, we're living. Well, we've had seasons where we're not. I went a whole year once without pay. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we all have those stories. Yeah. You know, no, every yeah. owner. Uh, you know, as you've mentioned, Simon Sinek, eaters are, or leaders. Leaders eat, eat last, last, right? Yes, you so. know. It's so true. One of the challenges that we have with running a Lash Salon is financial literacy. You know, I guess we're not exempt for that too. When we first started the business, we kind of didn't know the numbers or what was needed for the first part of, you know, when we were doing a commission salon, there was a time when our payroll was 70%. And 
anybody. A total budget. A total budget. And you can't run a business that way. Um, so while we were financially illiterate, now we're also seeing that that's also one of the challenges is, you know, educating somebody that's coming, you know, to us maybe straight from taking a, a class, a lash class, where they're being told you should be making these exorbitant rates like 70% or you can make 120000 in your first year. Us having to combat that because they're being told that. So, you know, when we're saying that's not how it really is, they think, oh, you don't really know how it is. I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? That even got in my head as a business owner Mm -hmm. because I had girls coming to me saying, you know, everyone in the industry is saying that I should be getting 60, 70 Mm percent. And I'm thinking, oh, what am I doing wrong then? Because (laughs) I'm going my tax woman and she's telling me if I pay them anymore, my doors won't stay open because I'm not going to be able to pay my overhead and my receptionist and my products and all of that. And so I was just thinking there must be something that I'm doing incorrect. Mm -hmm. And you found out it's not you. (laughs) You're not doing anything incorrect. In fact, most owners are taking less pay so that they can pay their employees more. And the whole commission model is so hard to manage. And one day we'll get you on the team-based pay, by the way. That's one of my your goals. (laughs) So anyhow, learning financial literacy is, I think, one of the biggest things that we're learning. We need to do as a team, as leaders on our team, teaching our staff what it costs to run a company, what it costs to um, pay everyone, front desk, all the bills, taxes, and so forth. And it's not easy to teach that because sometimes we don't even know what we're talking about. And we've had to learn a lot over the years. And we're doing better, but it's definitely a long way to go. Do you do any of that? I mean, I kind of put you on the spot here because we didn't talk about this year, but do you teach your team or work anything on financial literacy or do you do you share any of your numbers with your team? I, I don't so much. Um, and that's something that's been hard for me too is because, you know, I'm new to business mm-hmm. and sometimes I don't know what is correct to share with mm-hmm. my team and yeah. what isn't correct. Yeah. And so keeping that between like professionalism and um, making them feel like they are a part of what is going on has been hard for me to distinguish between. Yeah. In the beginning, we were like, we didn't know what to do either. We didn't know, you know, how much is okay to share. But as we've grown and we've learned, if you don't explain things, people are going to fill in their own story. It's not going to be left blank in their mind. They're going to think, um, if they don't understand the numbers, they're going to make up a story that makes sense to them. It's like you, you know, two and it's plus one two. that ends with you driving up the truck, loading up with cash, and laughing all the way Maniacally. every night, maniacally <laughs> every night. That's that's our typical story that we used to hear a lot of back in the day. So <laughs> just thinking, team members thinking you were just hoarding cash, hoarding cash. Okay, so yeah. what we yeah. do is we put a scoreboard up, which is just tells you what our goals are for the day and what we need to make and how much the salon has made, how many service hours and things like that. And one of the things that people would say was, where does all the money go? When they would look at the number of what our goal was, it would be a big number. Yeah. And and we're now, we've begun to share that more of the team. Like here's our rent. Our rent is over $8,000 a month. We're paying this insurance. We're paying that. We're, we don't even get more. And Erica's here watching. And I, we want to share more and more because we realize that builds trust. So I don't know yeah. maybe from Erica you could share a little bit. Well, I was just going to say, I remember the first time that you guys shared 
like the actual like spreadsheet mm-hmm. in a team meeting, in a staff meeting where you did break down like here's what our rent is, here's what we pay for our skincare line. Like everything was broken down and parking. Yeah, parking because they pay for our parking. Lunches. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. that like everything you can think of. And you guys should do that again because I think we I'm should. probably the only one that it's you a, did that with. That's it's been a while. Yeah, Christina. Yeah. I think Christina and, and yeah, Kanda it's probably. a way of doing business. It's called open book management, where you show you just open the books and you say these are our costs. This is what we need. And there's to- different levels, though. I'm not going to say here every line item because it gets a little overwhelming, and most employees don't want to see everything. Yeah, they just want to know the kind of big picture. Like, what's the right. thing that really costs us a lot of money? I don't need to know that you spent five dollars on a bank fee. <laughs> you know, right. Like- <laughs> yeah. But I, go ahead. I was just going to say. To finish my thought, for me, I've never worked anywhere that's been that transparent. And it did build a lot of trust because yeah. I was like, okay. oh, wow, okay. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not knowing what every penny goes to. But seeing it all broken down and their willingness to be open about it. And, you know, it's to a degree. And you would have to feel that out for yourself. But just having that transparency was an eye-opener. And even, like, to think perspectively like okay this is how much they spend on like the lash cleanser that we sell or this is how much they spend on like we give a chilled bottle of Pellegrino after every service to our clients as like a send off and thank you and to know how much they spend on that it makes you appreciate everything more or for me like okay yeah I I am going to remember to tell them to buy the skincare because not only do I believe in it but they spend this money on it (laughs) it's going to contribute yeah so I don't know just to you and and any other business owners out there I, I think it is finding that line for you of what feels comfortable and what you know is like an overshare but it really did build a lot of trust I think that people's biggest fear is that they're being taken advantage of, right? And so Uh if you explain, it's just, it's educating people like this is how much it costs to do business. This is how much the business needs to stay open. This is how much we're drawing in. This is how much you're generating. Then they can see, they can put two plus two equals four instead of, you know, having any gaps in that and having to figure it out Mm -hmm. and think, oh, these evil business owners are taking advantage of me. So, And I'll plug a book. I think I've plugged this book before. It's called The Great Game of Business. That book really explains what open book management is and how to share numbers. And they, and it's something you don't just do overnight. You don't want to say, by the way, here's my balance sheet because they won't know what it means anyways. And so you show them. You teach little things. So that's actually one of my goals over this next year is to start teaching more about this stuff. I love for our team to see our balance sheet. It's really ugly. Our company, we have a, we're basically have an upside down loan is what you can call it. That's Our mm. company's worth more dead than alive. But that's just because we made some bad choices in the past. And we're just working out those debts, and eventually it will. It's getting healthier than it was a year ago, so we're on the right track, and we'll just keep working hard at that. And eventually but even that is, is sharing that yeah. helps people understand where you're yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know? it's kind of like anything. You just begin to show them a little bit of time, and over maybe a year or two, your team as they learn it, and they just learn little bits because most of us didn't like math in high school or that's college. That's why we got into beauty. That's why we got into beauty is get away from math. So this is like, story. yeah, this is kind of painful that for some people that you can watch and listen to. And I've talked about numbers sometimes in our team meetings. I, I can see the eyes glazing over. Everyone's My just like, eyes glaze over. I, you know, it's hard for me to put two and two 
equals yeah. four together. You know? Yeah. So that said, check that book out if you haven't. And listeners, if you guys haven't checked it out, you should. It will definitely open your mind and teach you more financial literacy and a different way to manage your team so that you can begin to share numbers. And I think it builds more of that trust, which will eventually build more loyalty. Another thing I thought we'd get into is challenges. What are some of your biggest challenges you have for running your little salon there in Las Vegas, Nevada? Oh, my hardest thing is delegating. Mm. <laughs> delegating yes. because I'm so used to doing everything myself. Mm-hmm. And because my girls are commissioned, I feel like I don't have any room to ask them to do anything mm-hmm. other than lash their clients or, yeah. you know, take care of their clients. So that one has been hard for me and I'm learning how to delegate better. Yeah. Do you get any pushback if you were to ask for something? If it is, are people free to say, I don't want to do that? Or is it like, a, you know, or awkward conversation yeah, sometimes is it a, is where it, it's like, is uh, it challenging? Um, not to my face. <laughs> but honestly, the most that I would have probably ever asked is like, Hey, clean up after yourself or you're the last artists in the salon, can you vacuum tonight? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, my girls really do just focus on their clients mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not yeah. so much. They don't do inventory. They just make sure that their specific cart is stocked. Mm-hmm. And other than that, they just have that little square to worry about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's definitely, I think, and I don't know, maybe if you're like me, sometimes feel like I'm the only one that can really do it. And it seems faster, right? To just go ahead and I'll just do it because it's going to take me 10 minutes or 15 minutes to explain it. And by then it, I could have had it done. And so I just do it anyways. And it's really stupid because if I just teach them once, I will never have to do that task again. <laughs> I think that we've turned a corner on this and it's really exciting because we are so pressed. So what we've been doing is just saying like, especially in the realm of our team meeting, what we'll do is we'll say, Hey, Erica, I've got this one section I want to talk about. Just recently we did a team training and I I asked Eric, I said, can you just put together a little checklist of all the things that we need in the station so that people can be efficient? And then I just asked her to do that. And so that's one thing that I can take off my list. And then I turned Mm -hmm. to her during the training and she goes off on it. It's like wonderful because it's like they own it then and it's giving them a sense of ownership. And that's completely new for us because we haven't done that before. So that's, I don't know, I want to encourage you in that area just to kind of like, I don't know, people will own it a little bit more too if you kind of ask them to, you know, put their spin on it. Yeah, I need to do that better. Yeah. And I think another thing, we also have a leadership team now too. And we have about five of our staff, I think, help out. We meet every week for 15 minutes and once a month for an hour. Actually, it's usually about two hours, but we'd like to meet it for an hour, but it just takes forever. But it's been nice seeing Erica and Christina and Love and Juju really picking up the ball and doing new things that I just don't have time to do. Like one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to have an open house in December and invite other lash stylists to come over and hang out with us for a day or an evening. And two of our gals are totally running that. I haven't done anything for it. Erica's doing the invitations and it's neat to see this team come together and do that. So I know that's a little harder because again, commission is a different model. So if you ever did that, maybe just pay them hourly for those extra duties. If you ever thought about doing something like that. Yeah, that's actually something that I'm going to roll out within the next month or two is having a team lead and have this person really just be that connecting girl who helps make sure that communication Mm -hmm. is, you know, like going well between the girls and myself. And then 
also them being a part of having them plan our like events every three months, you know, just to stay as a team, do something, even if it's just like a picnic or something like that. So I'm starting to roll a position out like that soon. Is that one of your girls that's currently working with you or is this a new position that you're creating that will join the team? A girl that's been with me for almost since we've been open. Oh, cool. Okay. That's great. We yeah. actually had someone just kind of do a similar role. Christina is moved into a kind of we call, I don't know, I don't have a title for her, but she's kind of like team manager. Mm-hmm. Like her job is just to connect the team, talk to everyone, and also just to help make sure everyone's voice is heard because sometimes some of our stuff yeah. are quieter. They're, yeah. they're not going to yeah. say anything. They're just going to be the quiet ones in the back, and she's there to meet with them. She's every, like the liaison, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Actually, that takes us to the next thing I want to talk about, and that's difficult conversations, you know, times that you have to confront behavior that's not ideal or, you know, can you talk about that? Is that something that's hard for you? How do you handle it? It is. Yeah. It's very hard for me, but I'm getting better at it. Every time I have to pull someone aside, I have so much anxiety, (laughs) but I know it has to get done. You are (laughs) And they can probably tell that I'm sweating and shaking too, but (laughs) I do it. And it's getting easier every time. Good for you. I'm the same way. And what I'll say is I may stutter. This may be a little awkward, but we're just going to get through it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get through it. What Good do you, for you. What's something that you've had to confront? It's probably your biggest thing that you have to have the difficult conversations with. Luckily, it's not anything too serious. It might just be an artist working on a client, noticing some sticking from her previous mm-hmm. time that she was in. And for that artist coming to me, just being like, hey, I want to let you know this is what I saw. Maybe you need to go talk to her. I feel like sometimes it sounds like a bigger deal because it is coming from me mm-hmm. when at times it would have been nicer or easier for her to say, hey, I worked on your client last. I noticed this. Just wanted to let you know. Yeah. Whereas okay. from me, I have to pull them aside in my office so that no one else is around. And it just seems like it's a big deal or maybe I'm mad about it when I'm just saying, just watch out for it next time. You yeah. know? You're right about that. We've had that same dynamic. At first, it was people coming to me and saying, you need to talk to this person about that. And now gradually, we've kind of shifted the culture so that everyone's kind of owning it. So now it's a little bit more open where somebody can go directly to that person and say, here's some pictures. I just want to help you out. But it's been established that that's kind of the culture for a while now. So it's not coming in and the people that are being confronted usually know that it's coming from a place of care. I don't know. Can you share about what that's like? Yeah. Well, I think we've taken times where as a whole team, we've sat down and said, Hey, this is how we want this to go. And so just know and trust that when somebody does come to you that says, Hey, I noticed this, or this client actually complained about this last time. Mm -hmm. They know that it's from, a good motive and it's not from like trying to like call them out on something embarrass them and so I think setting that tone as a whole team saying like you guys have permission to have these conversations you also have permission to be on the receiving end Mm -hmm. and you know allow yourself to just understand that it's not like a catty thing. Right. Right. It's all out of love and helping each other get better. Yeah. I think even when you guys were talking about one of the things that came up was the team 
even agreed, like we'd rather hear it from each other instead of from you. Not that you know yeah. you're an evil person, but it's just like you said, it's no, like it's no, the I, boss. I know you, Tess, you're evil. <laughs> making people feel uncomfortable. It's just more intimidating coming from us, even though it's not anything serious. Exactly. And then one of the things that we've also done is talk about the culture that we want. And one of the things that we're looking for in team members is being hungry, humble, and smart. And so we can talk about those being our values. So when we say to each other, when you're being on the receiving end, we want you to be humble because that's how we grow. So, you know, kind of identifying those values is cool too. Yeah. What are some of the risks you have to deal with that maybe your team's not aware of, you know, risks that threaten your business. I mean, it, maybe it's payroll every month. I, I don't know what it is. But, you know, where are some of those things that you have to struggle with that are maybe it's not so commonly known by, you know, employees and maybe other salon owners? Well, when you do have your own product, mm-hmm. it is hard to find good suppliers. Mm-hmm. I've had suppliers where I've purchased samples and then once they receive the money, they go ghost. Oh, no. It's gone. Wow. And so that has happened. I've learned my lesson with being a little smarter with that. But when it comes to the owner, you are taking all of the risk. Mm -hmm. And at times, you know, it looks so easy from the outside. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you invest all this money into a certain product or a new system and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And you just have to take that L, you know, the loss. Yeah. And get back up the next day and try again. Yeah. yeah. And not feel stupid either. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. my ego takes a hit pretty often running this company. That's my big risk is like, I get to look stupid sometimes because we, you know, we always are trying new ideas, trying new things. And I think, you know, things work and some things don't work. So I feel like you make yourself look more stupid on purpose to overcompensate <laughs> for like the sometimes you look stupid. <laughs> uh, now you're on to me. <laughs> you know, He's like a big old dork. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's kind of one of the, the shocking things though. When you do something, you're the boss and you don't realize what you don't know. I remember early on one of the biggest mistakes, well, not big, it was a mistake. I bought some product. And this was in the very early days of first having staff. And they were like little shea butter fragrance lotion thingies in little tins. And I just put them out on the shelf. And I didn't tell anybody. I just expected <laughs> everybody would know, you know, have be inquisitive about it. But I didn't. And I kept thinking, you know, weeks later, like, why isn't that stuff moving? And then somebody says, what is this stuff? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking that you're going to like be inquisitive about it. But I realized I didn't take the time in a meeting to say, hey, guys, we've got this new product. And, you know, it's this is how you use it. It turned out to be highly perishable because it was like an organic kind of thing. And I lost all the money because we had to toss it, you know, but it was like, Mm -hmm. that was a really humbling lesson for me to realize, you know, I can't assume anything and you've got to over communicate. So to be intentional about like everything and and say the why behind Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, I think for us, we didn't always explain the why. I think we just, Hey, we're going to do this. And then everyone's like, why? And I'd be like ignoring it because I'm so excited about this new idea we're going to do. And then meanwhile, I'm shocked a month later, no one gives a a rat's ass about it because I have not taken any time to explain why we're doing it. And by the way, even when sometimes I tell them the why, they still don't always buy in. They still go, it sounds like a lot of extra work. But you know, you you get used to it and you find where your limits are and you move on and you grow from it. But 
Do you want to share some of the risks? I think the, one have? of the biggest ones is legally speaking. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize how much you're putting your neck on the line. When we oh, signed yeah. our lease, I don't know about you, but when we signed our lease, Tustin had to personally guarantee the lease also for the property. Every state's different, so maybe, I don't know, if, maybe hopefully you didn't have to do that. But if we were to fail as a business, we would still have to pay a lease even if we closed the business down. And that's not fun, thinking that we would owe a year and a half of rent which would be, you know, $12,000 or something like that, <laughs> that we personally guarantee. Obviously, insurance stuff happens. Um, we just learned a new thing about workers' comp. There's workers' comp claims. You know, you have insurance. I don't know in Nevada if it's required, but in California, you're required to have workers' comp. But there are still other things that they can sue you for injury that's not covered by workers' comp. I just recently learned this as I was where we actually have, a, have someone that is injured and going through the whole process. But as I was talking to our lawyer, they said, oh, by the way, just so you know, there's this other thing that can happen that you're liable for that your workers comp won't cover i'm like oh that's great so i can get sued for something that i didn't know i can get sued for so there's always new things even stuff like digital stuff like all this information on your computer from booker if that information were stolen or booker had a failure all your clients could sue your slime though booker's liable for it you, if you don't have insurance for that, they can still throw you in that lawsuit and you're going to have to hire a lawyer to defend you whether you're liable or not. It doesn't matter. But if you have insurance, which there is insurance for that, it's not very expensive. It's like $300. What's it called? I forget. It's like $300 a year on average, I think. And it's just basically identity, not identity insurance, but it protects your company if there's any sort of digital fraud that's committed. I guess so what we could encourage our listeners to, if you're interested in this, just talk to your insurance broker yeah. about the kinds of coverages that you would need, you know, to cover all these kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, even as you as an owner, you could get insurance that protects you from a labor law disputes. Um, there's insurance for that. What's that um, called? Again, I didn't prepare for this. I don't have it on the tip of my tongue, <laughs> okay. but it's expensive. Yeah. And but it does protect you from, you know, let's say uh, sexual harassment cases or any of those type of things, or misfire, or if you hi- fire wrongful someone, termination. wrongful termination. Mm-hmm. It protects you from those things because, again, just because you let someone go doesn't mean they can't sue you. They can, and that having that insurance there is always nice to have. So it's important to ha- know all the insurances out there because there's so many ways. You know, aside from liability, from slip and fall, or a client getting a tweezer in the eye, there's lots of other areas where you can't get sued, and it could be very, very expensive for your company if you don't have that kind of coverage. Yeah, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fun it's world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we live in California. I don't know if Nevada gets many lawsuits, but in California, it's pride of, or a badge of pride you're supposed to carry. You're getting sued. Hey, all right, I must be a successful business because <laughs> I'm being sued because that's mm-hmm. what happens in California. Everyone sues everyone. <laughs> Let's cover just one or two more things, and then we're going to probably let you get going because we're going long on this one, but let's uh, okay. get a chance to talk it's about a lot company. of different things. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move into another conversation about building a salon and the cost and how you can save money because I know that when we were talking earlier, you did share with us before that you guys really kind of went a different route than I think a lot of people do think about doing it. A lot of people just think I'll go get a loan and I'll go you know, borrow money from family members. I'll go into debt because you know I gotta get this thing going. I gotta get right in the beginning. And you guys didn't really do that. You guys kind of approached it a little bit differently. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on how you did it, and then maybe you can share with our listeners some of the things that you did to save money. Yeah. So. When I decided that I was actually going to open a salon, I was still working at my regular day job, which was waxing, and I cocktailed at night. And so for three years, I just hustled really, really hard, saved every single penny 
spent money like I was broke, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. used all of that to open up my salon. Good for you. So I didn't get any loans, and that's kind of something that I learned from my dad. If you don't have the money, don't put it on credit. <laughs> if you don't have the cash, don't put it on credit. Mm-hmm. And so Smart. I've always kind of lived my life that way. But another tip that I would say is I love interior design. And when I opened my shop, it was definitely not my dream (laughs) space, you know, like Mm -hmm. the decor, all of that. (laughs) You just have to start. I had our beds, the chair you sit on and lamp and products and almost no other furniture (laughs) in my whole space. I only started with my bare minimum. I don't even think I had a waiting area for someone to like sit down at. Yeah. But as we grew, that's when I started adding furniture and decorating. And, you know, last month I redid our bathroom because we had the funds for it. So just really growing as you grow. Like organically. We have a saying. Shoot ready aim. Shoot ready aim. Meaning, you know, the ideal situation is not the ideal decor, but you're just going to start. And it's the aiming part and the ready part is going to come later. And the perfect example is my office that we're currently recording in is exactly what that is. Because this office is ugly right now. And I had a three shells. Our son came in here, leaned on one, and ripped it off the wall. And it's like one hour after you put it up. One hour after I put it up, I said, thank you, Josh. And this place is just a complete disaster. But it's better than it was, as Erica saw a year ago, even six months ago. It's better than it was six months ago. True. And we're just slowly moving it one day at a time, make it a little bit better, a little bit nicer. And our salon is now. I think much better, but anyhow, yeah, I think that's great. Don't spend the money unless you have it. Take your time. Don't worry. The clients really are coming because they connect with you and not because you have the most beautiful chandelier in the waiting area as much as you right. would love to have the beautiful chandelier or you go and you watch Borboletta's office. You're like, oh my gosh, I want to have Borboletta's office like today. Okay, we'll go get $50,000 and take the money out and we'll look like them too. But that's probably not a smart way to go. You'll find yourself in a lot of trouble. I know you guys are kind of do-it-yourselfers too also. I know, And you have your husband help you, right? Yeah, so he his background is in graphic design. So he's helped so much since social media is such a big part of our industry. So twice a week, we sit down and I tell him all of my ideas and the graphics that I want to put out for the next you know, week or two. And he sits and creates all of them for me. Oh, and we yeah. save a lot of what money. What a yeah. luxury yeah. is that? You're yeah. very lucky. Erica wishes your <laughs> husband was me. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm, I create the most ugly graphics ever. And, I um, do agree with that. Yeah, they are ugly. Yeah, they I'm, are the worst. Don't, your, your husband obviously has a more feminine side to him than me. No, I, it's just, I would say uh, it's an eye. Yeah, it's an eye. I don't yeah, he's got an aesthetic it. eye for yes. sure. But when we opened, not only were we really bare inside the shop, But when we started looking into how payroll works and hiring a CPA, we just didn't have the funds to pay someone to do that. And so we did the research and learned ourselves. And I even know how to do our own bookkeeping, our reconciling. Um, And I do take a lot of pride knowing that literally in every little aspect of the business, I at least know a little bit. Good for you. So we found someone that was willing to come into our shop and just kind of explain how to reconcile. And we paid them hourly to show us. And then from there, we took over and now we do our own payroll and it saves us a lot of money every month. 
That's awesome. Yeah, payroll get expensive. I mean, if you use ADT, I think it's minimum two hundred fifty dollars a month. Paychecks is like one hundred and thirty, one hundred fifty. Uh, we're with Bank of America, and they use Intuit, and it's actually we got down thirty, no, thirty six dollars is what we pay for our payroll now, which I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's yeah. I I have to still do a lot of the work. I, mean, I have to input the numbers. There's no one to help me with it. It's all automated. It's all online. Um, so there's still things I have to do that I paychecks or ADP would give you. And, and ADP, I don't know if you ever tried to look into those, but ADP gives you all their HR tools too. So you don't just pay mm-hmm. them to do the HR. They actually, or do the payroll, they give you advice. So you have someone you can call when you have a question about hiring or, or firing or any state laws. You have people there to help you and that's one of the reasons why adp is so expensive and there's a lot of benefits and you can also i think with adp get them to negotiate your insurance for you so there's some other benefits there where they can help you get better deals because they represent such a large network of companies they are the largest payroll company in the country so they get a lot more power and so there's definitely upsides to that but hey if you can do it yourself especially when you're starting out there's no reason to be throwing 250 bucks a month at someone when you can do it (laughs) <laughs> yourself and save all that money through into it or through, I guess you have QuickBooks, right? Yep. QuickBooks yeah. and into it. Into it. Yeah, well. exactly. So uh, can you just share real quickly how you found somebody to help walk you through that and teach you? Uh, my husband's really good at calling a lot of people. Okay. And so we, <laughs> we called a lot of people, let them know what our situation was and finally found someone that was willing to just help us out a little. And so we still meet back with that woman who came in and taught us and she does our taxes at the end of the year and all of that. And so she just makes sure that throughout the year we're on track. That's, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Finding someone to help you out, coach you, pay them a little bit. And then, yeah, at the end of the year, I strongly encourage you if you're a business owner, definitely get a CPA to do your taxes because uh, and one that ha- is familiar with beauty, because there are some unique things about beauty that, you know, other businesses aren't dealing with. And if you're just kind of going with a generalist, you may miss some opportunities to save on taxes. Well, let's ask a couple of little personal things real quick, and then we're going to wrap this all up. It's been awesome. I'm so thankful that you've made the time to come and meet with us today. But before we get going, I just wanted to ask you this. What kind of legacy do you hope you could leave for our industry? I just want to mentor and encourage girls. Because this is such an amazing industry to be in. It's ever changing. It's exciting. And there's so many different aspects of it. So I just want to be a good mentor. And actually, three of my receptionists that ended up working for me are going to beauty school. Two have graduated already. And one is looking into it. And so they came in just wanting to be a receptionist after being around it, fell in love with the industry. And they're like... I think I'm going to do it too now. Awesome. You're creating so disciples. Yes. Yeah. I know I'm still young, but I've been hustling and in it for 11 years now. You look 21, by like- the way. So I don't know how, <laughs> yeah, 11 years I is kind of crazy. Really young. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years old, you're out there running, that's, that's waxing. That's what in me. So. Yes. <laughs> you're gorgeous. But um, just mentoring. I want to share what I've learned through my experience. with all of the new girls coming into the industry. And I see that online. I see you interacting and sharing, and I think people should definitely follow you on your accounts. Do you get DMs and people kind of inquiring and and asking you questions about business or things how about salons and all that? All the time. All the time, and I'm more than happy to message everyone. Cool. One of my favorite sayings is, I want my ceiling to be their floor, meaning... Mm -hmm my highest point is the point that they start at. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I love that. I think that we see a lot of that in our industry, but I, I hope we see more too. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot more sharing than there's ever been. Mm-hmm. I mean, four or five years ago, everyone was just tight lip about everything. But I think people like Kim James have really changed the conversation. I think having a podcast like us and Shelby's podcast and just people like you, I'm pointing to you, but you can't see me <laughs> because I'm off camera. People that are willing to help. You're willing to help. I mean, Jasmine, I know you've been great out there helping people, encouraging people. So it's cool. I mean, yeah, I know for us, guys. when we went to the Borboletta thing and she came up and introduced herself, you made our night just you know i mean just, oh, just so meeting did. you i mean i i just about started crying <laughs> oh, <okay>. like <laughs> crying for joy when i saw you guys because when i first got introduced to you through tara's video mm-hmm. that right. she posted on facebook i just felt like that video was for me mm-hmm. and you were speaking to me because mm-hmm. in that exact moment was one of my down times, you know, when I said, mm-hmm. when it's bad, it's really bad. And that was that moment for me where I was just feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing. Is this even worth it? Because it's so stressful. And just knowing that other people were out there that had experienced it as well, it helped me a lot because before then I was just hearing, you need to work for yourself. Don't work mm-hmm. for anyone else, mm-hmm. you know, just opposite of what I was trying to create. And I was lost. So I really appreciated that video and was so... I went to that party for you guys. So. Aww, <laughs> that was wonderful. I'm, I'm glad I got to meet with you. No, it was very cool. And then we got to hang out a month later. We came out yeah. to Vegas yeah. for the Cosmoprof yeah. show and we got to have lunch with you for a couple hours. So we really got to talk and share a lot of our victories and our sorrows together. And it was really cool. And we feel like we have a lifelong friend now yeah. and it's really cool. Well, so. it's like we're creating a tribe, right? You're part of the tribe. And it's like people that are interested in sharpening one another and growing our industry and sharing the good and you know shouldering the bad with one another that's what we're trying to do yeah it's good to know there's someone else there in the fight with you Mm -hmm. and that you're not alone because being a business owner i've heard this a million times you feel so alone sometimes in your business because you're you know I, i cannot go into my salon and complain to Erica, oh my gosh, da, 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 da. it's like, please, Paul, I don't need to now, hear it. No, we have a rule that you complain up, not down. Not down. So you, you never complain to somebody that can't solve the problem for you. You complain yeah. to somebody you know, that's either out of the situation or you yeah. know, above you. Complain up, or, or and praises go down, complaints go up. So we have no one we can complain to. (laughs) We've hit the ceiling. We get to talk to ourselves and sound like we're crazy people. I'm like one of those guys walking down the street and I'm just talking to myself. I'm just trying to work through my problems at my salon. That's all. Um, But one more thing is, do you have any plans or any changes or anything kind of exciting that you're working on for your salon in the upcoming year? I would like to expand, but... That's going to be a long process. Yeah. So it's a goal. It's a dream. But we'll we'll see where that takes me. Now, when you say expand, you mean like expand your current location or have a second location? I would love to have a second location. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it somehow. All right. You should talk to Shelby. That's for sure. Since she's done it, she knows what's like. Yeah. We've thought about two, and we're right now on the holding pattern on that one. I think everyone would love to do that. But as yeah. you know, running one place is crazy hard. 
two places sounds like it would be double the difficulty and I'm not ready if I we're not ready for that right now but good for you that would be awesome I'd love to see you guys take over Vegas so every street corner we look we'll see chic everywhere so that'd be very cool (laughs) so tell our, our listeners where can we find you online Online, you can find us on our Instagram, Sheiks and City. We're on Facebook, and our website is sheiksandcity.com. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And do you want anyone to follow you personally? You want any more followers? or? Uh... And my personal one yeah. is jasmine.sheik. There you go. Okay. And Sheik is spelled C-H-I-C. Yes, yes. It's not Chicks in City, it's (laughs) Chicks in City. Yes. I think I made that mistake when I first saw you guys. Oh, Chick. Okay, cool. Everybody does. Yeah, but it's really, it's a great logo. I love your logo, by the way. I think it's very stylish, very cool. Did your husband do it? Yes. Oh, Very man. good taste. Me and him. Yeah. Actually, my newest logo, I created that. I tried oh. to take graphic design, and I created that one that we're using right now. Very so, cool. And say, so, yeah, they don't let me touch anything design-wise anymore, so we yeah. hired someone to do it, and they did a good job. We have yeah. a new logo. We're very happy. But that said, uh, thank you so much. It was so good to see you or talk to you, I should say. No one else can see you, but we can see you. Yes. It's been great um, listening and hearing some stuff from you. You've definitely been a wonderful guest. And we'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, well, I won't say soon, but maybe in the next year we'll do it. And we'll definitely hook up sometime soon and see you. Definitely. Thank you so much, you guys, for having me. Thanks, Jasmine. <laughs> All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. And now the sad part of the program is here. We have to wrap this up. We'd love to continue this discussion online via social media. Please follow us on Instagram at Integrity Lash and also at Lashcast Podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback, you can DM us on our Instagram account for Lashcast Podcast. That's the place to get us. Please subscribe, review, and share our podcast with all your friends. If this program is helping you and inspiring you and doing anything positive in your life, let everyone know. Help us grow our little tribe here. On behalf of our engineer, Britton, my lash experts, Erica and Tusney, as well as our special guest, Jasmine, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen today. Keep on lashing, and remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.